I've treated hundreds of patients and trained thousands of healthcare professionals over my 15-year career. And one thing I've learned through that experience is that most people are really confused about supplements, or they lack a clear strategy or plan for how to use supplements to improve their health. That's why I created Adapt Naturals. It's a supplement line designed to add back in what the modern world has squeezed out and help you feel and perform your best. Our ancestors' diets were rich in the essential vitamins and minerals and phytonutrients we need for optimal function. But today, thanks to declining soil quality, a growing toxic burden, and other challenges in the modern world, most of us are not getting enough of these critical nutrients. I formulated Adapt Naturals using the principles of evolutionary biology and modern research to fill the nutrient gaps that we face today and replicate the nutrient intakes found in an optimal ancestral diet. Our flagship offering is called the Core Plus Bundle, a daily stack of five products that gives you everything you need each day, from essential vitamins and minerals like B12, folate, magnesium, and vitamin D, to phytonutrients like bioflavonoids, carotenoids, and beta-glucans. You can also order the products in the bundle separately if that works better for your needs. The Adapt Naturals products are made from the highest quality, food-based, or bioidentical ingredients, from cellular and immune health to brain and nervous system support to blood sugar and heart health, we've got you covered. Your supplement cupboard is about to get a lot smaller. We also created an app called Core Reset to help you get your nutrition, sleep, movement, and stress management dialed in. Because no matter how good our supplements are, and they are really good, you can't supplement yourself out of a bad diet and lifestyle. The best part is that you get this app at no additional cost when you order the Core Plus bundle. Head over to adaptnaturals.com, that's A-D-A-P-T naturals.com, to learn more and start feeling and performing your best. If you're a healthcare practitioner enjoying this podcast, you're probably a lifelong learner like me. You know how important it is to continually research and learn, to build on your existing medical training, to expand and deepen your knowledge and skills. And learning about functional medicine is a great way to do that. In fact, it's probably essential for every modern healthcare practitioner today. But it can be tricky to learn about functional medicine, and you have to be careful where you get your information. You need it to be evidence-based. You need it to be practical, not just theoretical. And you need training that's designed to fit into your busy life. With my year-long ADAPT Functional Medicine Practitioner Training, you get all of this plus certification. Imagine one year from now feeling confident using functional medicine to work with patients with complex chronic conditions. With this training, you'll learn what tests to order, which supplements and protocols to use, and how to support your patients in addressing the real root causes of their symptoms. You'll have the opportunity to get your cases reviewed, to move well beyond theory, and actually use what you're learning from day one in your clinic. We are currently enrolling, and we only do that for a few weeks twice per year. So visit cresser.co slash ptp to learn more. That's cresser.co forward slash p as in Peter, t as in Tom, P is in Peter to learn more and start your functional medicine certification training today. Hey everyone, Chris Kresser here. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Health Radio. The latest statistics suggest that a little over 40% of the U.S. population is now obese and about 70% are overweight. 
And the consequences of this epidemic of obesity and overweight are profound. These conditions lead to an increased risk of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, cancer, and many other chronic conditions. So helping people to effectively lose weight and keep it off is still one of the most important things we can do to prevent and reverse chronic disease and extend lifespan. Unfortunately, despite decades of effort uh, in this direction, the results have been pretty disappointing, frankly. Um, the rates of obesity and overweight have continued to climb, and many people who attempt to lose weight are either unsuccessful to begin with or they experience short-term success but are unable to keep the weight off. So I'm really excited this week to welcome Dr. Naomi Perella as my guest. She's the Chief Medical Officer for Readout Health, which makes the only Class 1 FDA-registered breath ketone meter. She's double board certified as a family physician and obesity medicine specialist and sees patients in the Chicago area. Naomi has an interesting background. She grew up in Japan, so she experienced both Eastern and allopathic medical care philosophies. And early on in her practice, she obtained additional training in Chinese herbal medicine. She's an associate professor and the chief of lifestyle medicine medical director for Rush University's multiple weight loss and lifestyle medicine clinics. So she has a lot of experience helping people from really diverse backgrounds lose weight and I'm really looking forward to talking with her about her integrative approach, you know, the approach that she has developed at the Rush Clinics and that she is also uh, consulting with Readout Health on. So on the show, we're going to talk about uh, Naomi's experience in the multiple weight loss clinics. She runs uh, the difference between overweight, obesity, and metabolic health and where those overlap what some of the difficulties that she has faced in the clinical setting are, uh, what are some of the biggest obstacles to weight loss are uh, from her experience, and how to address some of those obstacles. So again, really important subject and excited to discuss it with Dr. Naomi Perella. Let's dive in. Naomi, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much, Chris. I'm super excited. So, you know, over the years, almost 15 years now that I've been a clinician, I, I often, sometimes patients will ask me, what's the hardest, con you know, most difficult condition that I treat? And there are, you know, a lot of ways to answer that question. And oftentimes the, I think the expectation is going to be like some autoimmune disease or mold illness or, you know, something like that. And those can certainly be difficult to treat, but actually one of, I would say one of the top three would be recalcitrant excess weight. In other words, you know, people who are carrying excess weight who've tried all the basic stuff that you would try and that and and that hasn't worked. I mean, it's relatively easy in some cases to help people lose weight, but when that person has done all the things and they still haven't lost weight, that can be a really difficult situation. <laughs> so I'm really happy to be talking to you because this is pretty much what you spend every day doing, right? Yep, pretty much. It's it's really quite a bit of fun, yes. So yeah, why don't you tell, just give a little a brief background on you know how you came to be in the position you're in. You know, what, what position are you in now? How, how are you spending your time in terms of weight loss and all the, the different things you have you're involved in and, and, and how you came to this, like, what's your personal story here? Because that, that's always interesting to me to, to, 
you know, learn a little <laughs> bit more about how people ended up where they are. Absolutely. Sure. Well, I mean, I don't even know where to start, but basically I grew up in a bicultural family and attended international schools growing up in Japan. So um, I always had the experience of more than one way of thinking about things because of course, both my parents from two different cultures uh, had their own opinions of how you take care of yourself and, um, and just everything in general. And then of course I had a lot of my friends at the international schools that also um, thought about their bodies in different ways and so we all kind of were very open to many different ways to take care of yourself, many ways to be healthy. And so then I, um, you know, fast forward, went to medical school. And in medical school, we were taught best practices or um, the one best way, right, to take care of something. Um, and there was very little conversation about things that the patients could do unless it had medications, uh, intervention, you know this, right? Like, uh, you know, unless I can do something to you, um, you're kind of stuck with this, right? And it really bothered me to think there's only one way because I saw growing up, there were so many different ways to be healthy. So if I had a fever, my dad, who's Japanese would say, hey, you got to sweat it out. Your body's trying to sweat, you know, raise your temperature for a reason. My mom would be like, here's the Tylenol. We can bring down your temperature, right? So, and both ways worked, right? So it, it depended on what was going on. So yeah, you, you have the interesting experience of also seeing the difference in how things are handled culturally. Like you just said, like in, yeah. in the US, we might think, oh, there's just one, there's, there's a single approach to obesity and overweight, or even just, uh, you know, we have a sense of how common those conditions are, but in Japan, it's, to it's very different, right? Right. Totally. So, so that's been really fun. So basically there was a cognitive dissonance during medical training, but I wanted to learn everything that, you know, Western medicine was doing. And again, growing up, I had both Chinese medicine and Western medicine. It was like integrated. So I had access to both and saw different kinds of doctors for different things. So during um, training, I saw there was one answer for everything, right? It's like a multiple choice test, right? That's how I was kind of taught. And, um, and then going into practice, I became a family doctor and I was taking care of people of all ages. And they would have all sorts of chronic health problems that I was told in med school, it just goes one way. For example, diabetes, you just get worse, right? And the goal is to slow down how bad it gets. And then my patients would come in and I wasn't really solving problems and I wasn't helping people get better. And it was very frustrating. So I started, I went back and learned some more about uh, Chinese herbal medicine. I did some additional certifications there. I wanted to make sure I started opening my mind to what is available elsewhere. And long story short, I noticed that weight was a good marker and a good signal from the body that the body was off track. And so just by addressing weight or paying attention to weight, then I could start seeing the foundational problems that led to a lot of the chronic issues for my patients. And I was able to start turning that around. My patients taught me that weight loss is a side effect of getting better and that you can get better and reverse diseases that I had been trained are not reversible. Hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. And, and now, you know, you're 
involved with Rush, the, the chief of li lifestyle medicine at Rush, and medical director for multiple weight loss and lifestyle medicine clinics, and also uh, the chief medical officer for Readout Health, which makes Biosense uh, ketone breath ketone measurement device, which is how you and I met since I'm on yeah. the advisory board of that company. So along the way, it, you, you discovered the benefits of <laughs> lower carbohydrate dieting for weight loss, which is also contrary, I'm, I imagine, to what you were taught in medical school and what so many of us were taught uh, is the best approach for weight loss. So how, how did you get interested in, in you know, lower carbohydrate uh, dieting along the way? Well, you know, Chris, how this goes, right? We were, you know, I was taught, you know, calories in, calories out, eat less, exercise more. And so, of course, I was preaching that. I was actually an aerobics instructor and personal trainer, and I went out into the community, and I was like, I'm going to change the world. And what happened? Not much success long term, right? I was like, why are these people not doing what I'm asking them to do? And after a while, you start noticing, you know what? Actually, everybody says they're doing the right thing. Either everybody's lying to me or my information sucks, right? I must be doing something wrong because I'm the common variable here. And so it turned out, um, I had several patients who said to me, you know, Dr. P, I think there's, there's um, some other things that are going on here. I'm doing everything you said and I'm willing to try anything. I said, okay, well, I heard about this thing called like this high fat diet. Um, and I don't really know, but some people are saying it's really amazing and they're getting results. Do you want to try it out? I have no idea. I've been told this is a terrible thing to do, but if you're at that point where you're like, I'm willing to try anything, we could do an N equals one experiment. You can see how your body responds. So I had somebody who had been told that her diabetes was so bad, she's gonna lose her legs. And I mean, just, she was frightened. And she said, I'll do anything, I'll try this. So we basically pulled out every book about low carb diets, which in those days, there weren't very many. So it was like Eric Westman or, you know, Atkins essentially. And we tried it. We checked labs three months in labs look better. And this was happening with all of the patients that were willing to try this. So anecdotally, I started seeing, oh my gosh, somebody told me that this is not possible. And I have multiple patients who are miracles. And in fact, it wasn't a miracle. The body was just getting the right signals. Right. So I learned <laughs> fast. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, that's been it's such a similar experience to so many uh, uh, clinicians. You know, for me, yeah, I think when I came into it, I, I, I was already sort of disenchanted with the higher carb, you know, low fat approach. I'd seen just even in my training how ineffective that was for most people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, granted, there's no one size fits all approach. Uh, and I know that this has been your experience in your role. You see uh, patients from really diverse backgrounds with diverse yeah. needs and and you have to kind of adapt your treatments accordingly. But would you say at this point from across all of that experience that you have better success with that approach in general? So, you know, so we have six different clinics across the Chicagoland area with very diverse populations, just like you were describing. And, you know, in med school, I've been taught it's about, you know, what neighborhood or what zip code you have and so on. And um, some people can follow and some people can't. But that's actually not true. Across all of our clinics, if individuals are able to understand how, you know, 
carbohydrates, particularly ultra-processed carbohydrates and sugars uh, negatively impact their health. And they're willing to cut that back and adjust and make some simple changes. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what zip code you have. It doesn't matter what your background is. You can make significant change. And so we've seen that across the clinics and it is so much fun that joy that people get when they come in and they're like seeing their labs come back to normal. They're able to come off medications. They have more energy. I love when I hear, Dr. Perla, I have a confession to make. I say, what is it? Like, I couldn't help it. I had to start exercising more. I, I joined a gym. I did, you know, some extra stuff. So I'm doing more than you said. And I'm like, this is great. Right. <laughs> it's kind of the opposite of your experience before, right? Where yes, people were doing totally. all of the things you told them and they weren't making any progress and yeah. maybe feeling discouraged. In this case, they're actually accelerating their own progress because they, you know, that's a, uh, we call that an upward spiral, right? Instead of a downward yeah. spiral. When some, some things get better, other things then that are connected get better, like energy levels, which then enables more physical activity, which then, you know, helps either accelerates or maintains the weight loss. You know, it's, it's this whole cascade of totally. events that happens. Are there, you know, I, I just actually released a video on my YouTube channel. There was a new study that was published uh, looking at trying to answer the question of whether high LDL cholesterol on uh, in people that are following a low carbohydrate diet is actually correlated with an increase in cardiovascular disease risk. It was a, a fascinating paper because we know from, you know, some large observational studies that generally high LDL is associated with a higher risk of heart disease, but we know that, that is, that's correlation and not causation, and there are lots of mitigating factors, and, you know, the, the conclusion of this paper, you know, TLDR, is, was that actually in people who on low-carbohydrate diets that don't have other significant risk factors, the increase in LDL is not actually uh, associated with poor outcomes over time. I'm wondering if your patients that you see, which again are from very diverse backgrounds, if that's, you know, if that's something that still comes up in the conversation because it, it, it's still out there. You know, this, the, I, I think it's changed a lot in the last 20 years, but there's still this very strong fear, I think, of, of saturated fat and, and dietary cholesterol and then blood cholesterol levels. Oh my gosh, absolutely. This is the biggest fear, right? And of course, um, there's a lot of controversy that surrounds this, which I don't really think is controversy. We just don't have long-term data on you know, high-fat, low-carb diets with regards to cholesterol. And you know, an LDL doesn't tell you anything. It, you know, my favorite, I don't even remember who to credit this to, but whoever it was that said, you know, when there's a fire, if you are seeing a lot of firemen around a fire, does that mean the firemen started the fire, right? And same thing in the body. So you see lots of LDL cholesterol. Does that actually mean that's the problem? No, maybe they're the firemen. Maybe they're helping to repair, right? Like it doesn't tell us anything. It just means, okay, there's some correlations. But again, if you're looking at a population, more than 88% of the population is sick. So using population norms is also not helpful, right? Our goal is not to be like everybody else with regards to metabolic health. So again, 
not really a good measure to say in the regular population, this is what would be considered a normal level. That doesn't tell us anything. Right. And I'm sure you see this too, but I mean, this was in the paper and I've written, of course, a lot about this over the years, mm -hmm. but if you take a hypothetical patient or a real patient from your practice or my practice, and let's say they have numerous cardiovascular and metabolic uh, risk markers. So they, they're, they're overweight, they have, you know, abdominal obesity, they've got high blood pressure, they've got high glucose, high insulin, uh, high LDL cholesterol, low HDL, high triglyceride. I mean, we could go on down the list. A lot of people know what they are. High C-reactive protein and other inflammatory markers. Then they go on a low-carb diet. Virtually all of those markers improve, except LDL cholesterol maybe stays the same or in some cases might go up. And then the conclusion, at least from the mainstream perspective is that that person is worse off and has you know got has their their cardiovascular disease risk has somehow increased despite the fact that literally 19 out of 20 markers have improved they're feeling better than they have in years or maybe you know in ever in their memory and multiple strong risk factors uh, have have changed. Do you see that in your practice as well with the patients you treat? Chris, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're speaking the same language. It's so fun to talk to someone who gets it. <laughs> um, but yes, absolutely. And, and you know, here's the bottom line. If an organism, a human that's meant to move, feels great and they're moving more, there is no way in hell that one number means that there's increased risk and it's bad for you. There is no way. When people don't feel good, they don't want to move, other markers start getting worse. So I absolutely see, and I have lots of conversations about this, right? People get very stressed out about their LDL, which quite frankly, on a regular lipid panel, it's a mathematical calculation. It's not even that the lab is counting the LDLs, right? It's not even that. And it doesn't dif differentiate the different sizes of the LDL. I mean, there's just so many things wrong with it. So um, you see, you're getting me on my soapbox here, but, <laughs> but <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there's I a whole nother discussion about cholesterol versus looking yeah. at particle number, which is far Correct. more relevant. And if we're going to look right. at a number, you know, APOB or, uh, uh, would be a much better marker to look at or lipoprotein little a, which is a, you know, a, a particular type of low density lipoprotein that is independently associated with cardiovascular disease. But even then, you still have to interpret the significance of that marker in the overall context of what's happening. I think this is part of the issue is that we've, we have such a reductive approach to yeah. human health and well, and, and, and medicine where we, you know, we've come to see the body as a collection of separate parts and, uh, you know, we just kind of myopically focus on one part or one marker and don't consider the relevance of that part or marker in the overall context of the ecosystem. And we're, we're really bumping up against the shortcomings of that approach now. And this is just one of many examples of, of where that can go wrong, right? I absolutely agree. One thing I mentioned in the video was, and this is somewhat amusing and somewhat horrifying, I guess, depending on how you look <laughs> at it. But even the, you know, I've often found that like 
the, the advocates of the conventional view of LDL cholesterol and its, its value as a risk marker don't even use their own calculators or tools as, as a means of, of really parsing out what impact LDL has. And, and I, I, I used an example. Uh, there's a calculator called QRISC2, which is one of the more validated, you know, popular yep. uh, 10-year cardiovascular risk calculators. And I used a hypothetical uh, person, a Caucasian male, six foot two inches tall, 180 pounds, so normal weight, not overweight, mm -hmm. um, 50 years old, non-smoker, and then no significant risk factors like no diabetes, history of heart disease, not taking blood pressure medication, et cetera. And let's say that person went on a low carb diet or they, you know, they were a little bit overweight, maybe they were 200 pounds and then they lost, they went on a low carb diet and lost 20 pounds and now they're 180. Mm -hmm. If that person plugs those number into, uh, and then let's say they have a, a hypothetical uh, total cholesterol of 300, which by any okay. account is, is very high, Considered right? That's high. Prob yep. probably yep. familial hypercholesterolemia. And then they have an LD, an HDL of 65, which is in the, in the normal range. If you plug that person's numbers into this calculator, their 10 year risk of cardiovascular disease will be about 4%, which, and, and that doesn't change much if you lower the total cholesterol level. A lot of that risk is just coming from age. You know, that's age is the number one risk factor for heart disease. I'm yep. always telling people that. And there was a study that showed that statins are only, may only be beneficial in terms of reducing total mortality in people with a cardiovascular disease risk of 20% or higher. But I can almost guarantee that that patient would be prescribed a statin in a, in a conventional medical practice, despite their, the, their own calculators and own, you know, studies saying yep. that that's not gonna help in that situation. That's exactly it, and it's very, very frustrating because if you have, you know, particularly a, a well-established physician who's not read the recent literature with a critical eye saying, um, this is what you need to do or you're going to die, that's really hard to help people recover from the trauma of thinking they're going to die because they have this, like, you know, otherwise, you know, everything else looks fine. They're doing great. So it's very, very challenging. And I think um, individuals struggle with that a lot, and rightly so. It's unfair of um, anybody, for anybody to make that kind of judgment. Again, it's a bias, right? It's, yeah. it's not accurate. It's not based on evidence. It's completely old data that is not actually even real data. <laughs> Old ideas die hard, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> we, well, they say it takes we, we 20 years for something to catch up in medicine, right? I mean, we're we're so slow, but um, Adam, I think we're I getting think better. We're, we're a little we're, we're a little overdue on that 20 year thing because yeah. you know that some of these low carb studies go back you know, uh, longer than that. But you know, there's there's a lot of what's his Kurt Lewin's I think um, theory. I'm 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 a butcher it, but it's basically like with change. There are forces for change and forces against change. And, you know, there's that dynamic that's always there. And that change doesn't happen until the forces for change are greater than the forces against it. And there, there's still a lot of forces against that change. There's still a lot of money 
that's tied up in maintaining the status money. quo. Um, of course, you know, all, all of the drugs and the big food companies that are invested in the low fat paradigm. And then there's, and, and then I think there's just groupthink and like even seemingly small things, but that, that like medical textbooks that are, print, that are printed and still in use by universities that are, you know, teaching this, this methodology. And it, it's like turning a huge mega titanic ocean liner around you know if you just if like i have that visual in my head and we're somewhere in that yeah. process where it's like slowly turning and it's not linear it's like it turns it stops it goes back in the other direction yep. a little bit it keeps turning um but yeah that's kind of my sense of it is is maybe by the time our kids are are grown up they'll they'll be you know, we'll have a hopefully uh, a, a more nuanced view on this, and but but it's a shame that it takes you know a generation at least, if not two generations, um, when you w because we have the data, the data are there. Yep, I agree. And you know, one of the things that I think has been helpful is um, people are curious. There's a lot of great physicians, scientists, healthcare providers, functional medicine, right? Like lot of different people speaking up and saying, hey, you know, does this make sense to you? Because here's another way to think about it. And so people are asking questions. They come in, they're seeking out better conversation where they can really understand. And I think this is the future, right? The more people advocate for, you know, I've had several patients come in and say, I'm scared to ask my doctor this question. And I say, Doctors need to get the questions also, right? Sometimes we might not have time to look everything up, but if a patient comes in and another patient comes in and says the same thing, we're like, well, I got to go look at the research here, like tonight, like immediately. So, well, um, that's one response, that's key. Naomi, as <laughs> that's a, that's the response that we want to see, but I, you know, I can't tell you how many times my patients come in and tell me that's not the response they got when they asked their doctor a question, the response is sometimes an eye roll, it's sometimes an attack. How dare you question my authority? I'm the person oh with gosh. all of the answers. Um, and in, in my experience, the greater, uh, the more training that doctor has, the more of a specialist they are, the more highly regarded they are in their field, the, the more likely that it's gonna be that kind of response. I actually just, it's a little off topic, but I'm going to tell the story anyways, because it, you know, someone close to me in my life was having unexplained fatigue. Uh, this is an older man, uh, unexplained fatigue. You know, I, I saw him not long ago and saw he, he looked pale and, you know, he was trying to figure out what was going on. He was going to his doctor. Doctor just wrote him off, said, you don't have anemia nothing's wrong. You know, you're just getting older. Um, cause he was, you know, he's in his late seventies. I asked him to send me his lab work, which he did. And he had an absolutely textbook case of anemia, <laughs> low red blood oh, cells, wow. hemoglobin, hematocrit, high RDW, red blood cell distribution wow. width. You know, it was like, it wasn't a, I'm not talking about functional ranges either. I'm talking <laughs> about just like flags right there on the lab court lab report. And he'd seen a hematologist, which is, uh, of course, for those who are not familiar, is a specialist in blood disorder. Like, this is the, the person that you would see who would. <laughs> but, you know, 
uh, my sense is, and this has happened to me before when I've referred people to specialists, is that they're so used to seeing people who are almost dead like or dying with like really acute, severe problems that if they see somebody like him who had anemia but was not like going to die the next week, they don't take it seriously and they just, they just you know, send them away. So then, you know, I do a little, I asked him to send me a few more labs that he said he had and it turns out he had several markers for myeloma which oh, was probably, my. you know, what was ca causing yeah. the anemia. Again, for people who are not familiar, that's a, a, a cancer that starts in the bone marrow, and that's where red blood cells are produced. And if you have that issue, that can, that can be one of the causes of anemia. And, and you know, his, his other doctor that he saw that actually recognized he might have anemia just kept telling him to take iron over and over and over without even testing his iron levels or looking at any oh. other causes. So... Now I'm on my soapbox, but this guy, I was so furious oh, for so absolutely. many days after seeing that. But I, and I wish I could say that was a one-time thing, but I've seen that over and over uh, through the course of my career. And I just, I wish there were more doctors like you that when somebody asks them a question, they would go home and research and, and find and learn what they don't know. Or if a patient comes in and shares an experience that was transformative for them, like, hey, I did this diet or this approach right. that's like different than what you know is typically recommended and it really worked for me that the response there is like oh wow that's amazing i'm so tell me more. curious tell me more i want to learn more about that so i can use it yes. with my other patients you know? exactly exactly that curiosity right if you're just picking up whatever salt is available at your local grocery store i'm really excited to tell you about kalima salt I first came across it a couple of years ago, and right from the start, I knew it was different. It has these large kind of crystals and flakes. It's crunchy. It's bright white, and the taste was different than anything else I'd experienced before. It's a great finishing salt for meat or fish or sprinkling on top of vegetables, and we use it every day in our house. I feel good about buying it because it's free of ocean-borne microplastics, uh, unlike most salts on the market today. And when I buy it, I'm supporting the local salineros who harvest the salt in Mexico. If you want to learn more and check it out for yourself, head over to cressersalt.com, and they have a special offer for Revolution Health Radio listeners where you get a free bag with your first purchase. No discount code necessary. Just go to cressersalt.com. If you've listened to this show for a while, you know that I'm a super active guy. Depending on the time of year, I'm either skiing, mountain biking, hiking, backpacking, surfing, or lifting weights on most days of the week. I also live in a really dry climate at high elevation. For these reasons, I pay a lot of attention to hydration. I've learned the hard way what happens when I get dehydrated, and I know how important hydration is to overall health. But hydration isn't just about drinking water. It's about water plus electrolytes. This is where Element comes in. It's a combination of electrolytes like sodium, potassium, and magnesium in easy-to-use individual packets that you just add right to your water bottle. And unlike most electrolyte products on the market, Element is free of sugar and artificial junk. I drink Element every day, and it's made a huge difference in how I feel. Even with my training and profession, I don't think I realized how often I was dehydrated before I made Element part of my daily routine. If you'd like to try it, the folks at Element have an exclusive offer for my podcast listeners. 
You can get a free sample pack with one of each of the eight flavors Element sells when you purchase any Element product. This is perfect for anyone who wants to try all of the flavors or who wants to introduce a friend to Element. Just go to cresser.co slash Element, that's L-M-N-T, to place an order and take advantage of this offer. To live your healthiest, longest life, you need to understand what's going on inside your body. People age at different speeds, and generic annual blood work doesn't properly evaluate your biological age, but Inside Tracker does. Inside Tracker is a truly personalized nutrition and performance system designed to extend your health span and slow the aging process. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. Add InnerAge 2.0 to any plan to calculate your true biological age and see how you're aging from the inside out. For a limited time, get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash Chris Cresser. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Chris Cresser. And Chris, I think you, so first of all, I want to apologize on behalf of any doctor who is dismissing a patient or a patient's complaints, because obviously that's just flat out wrong. Secondly, good for you for pursuing and listening and discovering a diagnosis. Shame on that hematologist for not figuring that out. That's like their job. And then, you know, in medical school, I was told there was one thing that somebody said to me that really stuck with me. And it was the further you get in your training and the further you go in your career, the less people are going to give you honest feedback. So when somebody says something that doesn't just, that kind of rubs you a little bit, not so great, or you're like, man, I was wrong. You know, it gives you that sort of uh, chip, you know, like that little knock. Listen, because that might be just the tip of the iceberg, right? So if you hear something like, man, I missed something, then you better open your eyes because you might not get that warning again, right? Yeah. And to, to your point about sometimes the more seasoned or more esteemed a physician is, the less likely they might listen. That's exactly the, the reason, right? Like, yeah. And here's a clue on both sides, like wh- whichever side you're on. Like if someone gives me feedback and it's difficult to hear, but I know there's some truth in it, I can feel that, you know, there's a, totally. a visceral response in my body. Yeah. Usually yeah. some defensiveness might pop up or, yep. you know, some irritation or anger, but that's a, that provokes a, a response. Mm-hmm. Whereas if someone gives me feedback that is just really not, you know, there's no part of me that recognizes any, any truth in it or relevance yeah. or value, yeah. it just bounces right off. You know, it's not <laughs> something that that's going to bother me much at all. And I would say the other way is true too, because I've been in the seat of being a patient. I mean, that's how I arrived in, you know, like that's how I even got into this career. So I know what it's like to be in the patient's shoes and be looking for answers and be dismissed and get the eye roll and get all this. And I, you know, I, I can say like, if I'm, if I'm on the patient side and I ask a question like that to the doctor and the response is angry, defensive, I know I probably I'm onto something, you know, because <laughs> if if I wasn't and there was it. really nothing to that at all, there probably there wouldn't be that kind of response. 
Yeah, no, I, I think the biggest challenge, and we talk about this in society in general, is about biases, right? And in medicine, we have that in spades, right? So never mind racial biases or gender biases, but it might be about age or weight. Those are very common. Oh, this is just aging. No, that's probably not true, right? Some of it, yes, we get some more wrinkles. Okay, but you can still climb a mountain if you're taking good care of yourself and you're addressing yeah. the fun the foundational problems, right? And same thing with weight. A lot of people will, you know, I'll have a patient who's lost 50 pounds. They go to see somebody and the doctor says, oh man, you know, all your problems are because you're overweight or obese. And the individual comes back and they're crying and they're like, they didn't even notice that I lost 50 pounds. Like, you know, I'm working on this, right? And that dismissing and saying, oh, you know, it just is the way it is. That is so frustrating because yeah, that's not true. It's There's, a cop out. We can always improve. So, uh, yeah, along those lines, um, what are some of the biggest challenges you see, uh, you know, in, in, in your practice with, with weight loss? Is it more a question of compliance? Is it, or is it more a question of, you know, like they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, but you hit this plateau that's difficult to move through? What are, what are the biggest issues? So that's a great question. And, um, it's sort of a multifaceted situation, but basically the biggest challenge is people's beliefs and particularly other people telling them what their body can or can't do, right? And to blame it on non-adherence, that really makes me mad. Um, oh, you're just not doing this or you, you're not trying hard enough. Again, this calories in, calories out, right? If you just worked a little harder or you were 100% consistent, you would have had the mass, the miraculous success. It's actually not true. So part of it is the thing that's most important is developing that self-compassion so that you can recover and respond to your body. So I think the biggest mistake we make is we look at an outcome, like let's say weight gain or developing diabetes or high blood pressure or something. And we say the body is malfunctioning. It's actually the wrong attitude. It's really if your body is designed to heal and thrive and it's giving you this outcome, what's the signal that's causing this outcome, which is not the outcome you want, right? And so I think, you know, same thing. If somebody hits a plateau, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Maybe your metabolism is shifting. Your waistline might still be shrinking, right? There might be other things going on under the skin that you can't see. That's good stuff. It could be that you're losing weight and that might be a bad thing if you're losing muscle. So again, you know, it's paying attention to um, and having a good guide, somebody who's not going to just say, oh, you're not trying hard enough. That's why you're, you know, that's why this is happening. No, let's figure out what's going on. You understand this so well, Chris. So it's so great that, you know, um, there's people out there who recognize we need to find out what's the foundation of the problem. That's that's the challenge. People just want a Band-Aid. They want just the number on the scale to change. Right. And in, regarding that, how often these days do you find that you're using, you know, I, I know you mentioned that a lower carbohydrate approach is mm -hmm. is your, your preferred approach and you get the best results with that. Yeah. 
but that's a spectrum, right? So mm-hmm. you have yeah, just, you know, the, uh, the standard American diet's like 400 plus grams of carbohydrates. So, you yep. know, two, 200 grams would be a lower carbohydrate right, lower. diet <laughs> relative to the standard American diet. And then you have, you know, full on uh, ketogenic nutritional ketosis. Yep. Where, where do you find your, yourself on that spectrum? And I imagine it varies, but like, and then yeah. are you, you know, how, uh, how much are you and your patients using Biosense and or, uh, as a as a way of you know de- learning about ketosis when they're in ketosis? You know what are the things the the various inputs, not just diet, but exercise, sleep, and things that affect ketosis. And how how has that been? Yeah, so so I think about um, metabolic health or the way the body can use different fuels, right? The, the more variety of fuels you can use, the better it is. So if you can burn sugars or fats and each of them, you know, whenever you need to, that, that's the best metabolic health. So I think of about, about a spectrum. So one end, you're super, super healthy. You can eat whatever you want. Your you know, body can burn it, do what you need to do. You've got the energy, et cetera. The other end of the spectrum, very, very sick. And so depending on where you are on the spectrum of health and well, you know, well-being, you'll have different tolerances of how much you can deviate. So if you're already very sick, then you're gonna have to be more strict. So it's better to be closer to like a ketogenic diet where you're having your carbs down to like 20 or 30 grams per day, right? But not everybody needs to start there. You could start at 50 grams and you can make some pretty good progress, or you might be very physically active and you might be able to tolerate a little bit more um, especially if you haven't had metabolic dysfunction in the past. So it kind of depends on the history. Um, and so we actually look at labs, we look at um, body composition. Because I'm the chief medical officer for Readout that makes Biosense, I can't directly recommend to my patients to use Biosense. There's a conflict there. Right. Yeah. So many patients you know, look me up online and find out that, you know, I recommend, you know, or I'm working with Biosense and then they ask me a lot of questions about it. Biosense is great because it's diet agnostic, right? And so if somebody comes in and they say, I'm starting at 400 grams of carbs per day, or they show me their food log and it's clear it's about 400 or more, right? (laughs) Then I can say, here's the goal. If you use this device, and you are blowing zeros, which means you're not burning any fat at all, right? Any significant fat. Then our goal is to see if we can get your body to start burning fat. So we can cut back the carbs and somebody might say, well, I'm gonna go 20 carbs. Or somebody might say, I'm gonna cut it in half and see if I can get my numbers up. But they can be a part of that decision-making instead of me arbitrarily choosing a number. I can tell them what to look at on the biomarker device. So if they start blowing a one, okay, now we're starting to make progress, right? They need to blow a five or higher if they want to be losing more fat mass than they're putting on their body. And we can also look at the patterns with Biosense. So if somebody says, I don't know what I'm doing, it's not working for me, I can ask them to check it three times a day. So they blow into the device three times a day. And we can look for patterns. Is it an upward slope? The numbers going up throughout the day? Is the slope going down? Is it a U shape or a hill? Or is it straight across, right? That tells me different things about their metabolic flexibility, 
their cortisol levels, what's going on with their body, how their sleep might be. And so I can help direct and say, you know what? You're, it looks like your ketones are really low in the morning, even though you've been fasting all night long, your sleep might not be that great. Hmm. Let's start thinking about sleep. Or maybe you're dehydrated and you know, before you go to bed, maybe you need to have some bone broth or something to help support your body overnight because maybe you, you know, go a long time without fluids. So there might be different things that we can start articulating that help us understand what's going on with the body and how can we help you get into that healthy metabolic state. And have you found that that's been helpful for patients to have that kind of objective data rather than just relying on their own you know experience or intuitive sense but to actually be able to see like oh I did this and that happened <laughs> you know and that, that 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 you know they have that kind of feedback on in 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 black or white or in this case in digital format you know <laughs> yeah. from from the app or the device I think it's helpful to have feedback and you know let's say a patient's not going to see me for a couple of weeks it's a long time to wait and cross your fingers and hope everything is going the right direction, right? Or to get feedback. Um, same thing with the scale. That doesn't tell you what you did, you know, half an hour ago or an hour ago. It doesn't show you what your walk did for you, right? It, you can't tell. Was it the walk? Was it the fact that I ate less carbs? Was it, you know, like you can't, it's hard to fine tune and respond to your personal body. So it does help with that to get that feedback, to blow into and say, oh my gosh, that 15 minute walk was actually even better for me than whatever other activity I might've tried previously, right? So now I can see, oh, my body needs more of this aerobic kind of just gentle walking in nature, you know, uh, walking the dog. Maybe that's gonna be just as effective as something that I'm trying to force myself to do that I really don't wanna do, you know, for exercise, right? Yeah. So yeah, I like giving people the power to choose. Yeah, and and also just the the uh, educating along the way, right? Not not just saying do this, do that, but helping people understand how the choices that they make actually uh, affect their body and lead to changes, which means that they're going to be much more able to um, pivot or or you know adjust if something changes. Um, that and that kind of understanding, I think, is really just knowing how our bodies work and, and knowing what influence we have and the thing, the levers that we can push that are going to make the biggest difference is, is really half the battle. Absolutely. I think that that is it, right? And the body responds to signals. And if we can help people understand which signals result in which outcomes, and people have the freedom of choice to decide what outcome they want and say, okay, I'm going to do this behavior, like eat less carbs so that I can reverse my diabetes. So my knees feel better so that I want to go for a walk so I can hang out with my grandkids or family or, you know, go travel the world. Right. So that's really, that's the key. Yeah. Nice. Well, any other um, things come to mind, like uh, that, that you are doing differently now than you were <laughs> 10 years ago, let's say, um, you know, from in, in terms of your approach to weight loss and metabolic health? Yeah, I think the thing that I'm um, doing most differently is really listening to and looking for answers and um, being much more curious about all the different ways 
that we can affect weight and how people are successful, which things interfere. I mean, I recently uh, was at a meeting learning about obesogens, right? And obesogens are cause excess weight gain, fat tissue, um, without equivalent caloric intake, right? And so I had um, not really considered this very much uh, in my conversations with people. But again, that's not individuals' faults. And so if we can identify, oh my gosh, this environmental toxin causes weight gain, and it happens to be in your environment, you know, by changing that or by taking a supplement or doing something to help eliminate that toxin effect, you, you could actually, without changing anything else, maybe even make a difference, right? So um, I'm just being way more curious to everything that doesn't make sense exactly. Like I wanna, I wanna get to the bottom of that. And I realize now it's not necessarily in the medical field that I'm gonna learn it. I might learn it from environmental studies. I might learn it from a different country in different language. And so I have to really be very curious and open um, much more than I even was before. Now I'm just like obsessed, but just, I wanna learn everybody's different perspectives. Yeah, and that, I mean, that the, the obesogen factor is interesting. And, you know, th- th- just for people listening, this, this can be anything from BPA, bisphenol A, and plastics yep. in the ecosystem to other environmental toxins, glyphosate, heavy metals, uh, other th- chemicals that have been shown to have estrogenic activity. Ironically, some of the BPA-free <laughs> plastic alternatives have higher estrogenic activity than BPA. <laughs> so it's kind of like going from the f- uh, frying pan to the fire, so to speak. Um, There's another reminder that obesity and, and o- excess weight and metabolic problems are not purely individual problems. Um, in other words, they're not, you know, the the complex of factors that led to somebody gaining weight in the first place is not, are not all under individual control. And we, you know, there's a lot of studies that have come out in the past five years, especially, for example, showing the relationship between air pollution and obesity. You know, that's something that most people have zero control over, especially when they're kids, you know, and have no say over where they live. So, um, you know, it's, it's, there's a, there's a razor's edge there that I think sometimes trips people up, understandably. It's this, this difference between responsibility and blame, you know, like, exactly. Uh, you know, uh, uh, that's that's a situation where you know where we recognize that there's there are factors that I have some control over, factors I have complete control over, factors I have almost no control over, and the key in that situation, even for the ones that you have control over, is not blame and shame and guilt, but responsibility, like in the true sense of that word, ability to respond. Uh, appropriately in that situation, whatever that response is. So it's, I think it's a good reminder because we uh, we tend to see things in a very individualistic framework um, in this country, and there's a lot of good up that comes from that, and there's also some challenges as well. Totally agree, totally agree. I and I think that is where we real and we, you know, Dr. Bruce Blumberg, who's the person that coined the term obesogens, you know, he's recently shown that the effects last for generations, right? So so 
it behooves us to be aware that our actions today affect generations later. And so, you know, as we now understand this, we can no longer pretend we, we're not responsible and that it's only, oh, I'm only affecting my own body. We affect each other's bodies and generations ahead and behind. And, you know, so it's really important for us to think about, you know, the stewardship that really taking care of not just ourselves and our close family, but it's the future generations that are going to be affected too. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Naomi, thanks so much for joining me. It's been a fascinating conversation and great to know there are doctors out there like you that are approaching <laughs> this with an open mind and curiosity and willingness to learn and ch change your mind as new information comes to light. I, to me, that's just a foundational element of being a clinician and, and having a scientific approach because you know, one thing I, I like to say is the history of science and medicine is the history of most people being wrong about most things most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so true. That, that's really, that's objectively true. You know, when we look, yeah. we look back at, you know, scientists and physicians a hundred years ago and, and, and sort of scoff at them and, oh, they didn't know anything. And, and, and we arrogantly assume that people a hundred years in the future are not going to be looking back with the same derision <laughs> that, that, that we do today. Totally. totally. So I, whenever I think I've got it all figured out, I just try to remember that <laughs> and realize that, nope, it's going to, you know, like, it, and, and even if in the course of my relatively short career, I've changed, I, I've had to change my mind on, on so many different things uh, because exactly either my clinical experience or, you know, new research coming to light or some, or, or some combination of both. So it's, um, it's always a good reminder, you know, it keeps us humble as, as clinicians to, uh, you know, it, and if we can flip that to actually be excited when we're wrong, that's when it really yeah. gets fun because then it's just this, I think physicists are the best at that, <laughs> you know, like totally agree. They, <laughs> more than any other type of scientists are like ecstatic when they're wrong, when they find out there's something that doesn't fit with their current theory, because then yeah. it means there's something new to be discovered. And if, if only we could all embrace that same, um, you know, excitement about discovery and openness to being wrong. I think it's, you know, in medicine, it's a little more complicated because people are relying on doctors for advice that directly affects their, their health. Whereas like yeah. with the Higgs boson field or, you know, it's, it's a little less yeah. direct <laughs> in terms of the, the relationship between someone's day-to-day -day experience. But I think we can learn something from the physicists. I agree. And Chris, you know, to, for all of your listeners, obviously they're, intensely curious and constantly learning. So if anybody is thinking they want to help in the medical profession, please apply to medical school and, um, you know, join the club, right? And help us help others learn and tap back into the curiosity because sometimes it just gets squished out of you and you need, you know, just enough people around to say, hey, this doesn't make sense. Let's let's understand this better. Just like you said, this is wrong, right? I, oh my gosh, I was wrong about this. It's so fun to have colleagues to be able to talk to about, you know, the things that we we got wrong and to learn and um, get better. So I think that's really fun. 
Yeah, and I, I'm encouraged. I, I know a lot of young young people who are going into medicine, you know, go, the, via the traditional route, going into medical yeah. school, and they're going into it with eyes open. Like they they understand the the limitations of the conventional training, but they also understand the benefits. I mean, let's let's there there are plenty of benefits. There's a lot of really good, useful things you learn in medical school, um, but they're going into it with all a plan already like they already have they already know they're going to go into functional medicine or they already know they're going to you know maybe they want to work with people uh who are on the metabolic spectrum and and they want to yeah. use low carb ketogenic diets or they you know it, it's cool to see that because i think that's you know that that's how things really do change in the end right is the 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 yeah. The younger generation replaces the older generation and they have, yep. you know, new ideas and different ideas. And, and that's how progress marches on. So I'm, I'm, I will be happy to be replaced by um, <laughs> the, the young and the bright future exactly. generations. The curious, right? The yeah. curious and open minded. That's what we want. We want to encourage yeah. curious and open minded people to come in and shake things up, discover better ways. Right. That's the goal. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Naomi. Where can uh, people learn more if they're in the Chicago area and they might want to come see you? How, what's the best way to do that? Um, you know, just looking up uh, Rush University weight loss. Um, that's where I am. And of course, I'm also at readout. So mybiosense.com. I'm the chief medical officer there. So if everybody, if you know, anybody has questions, they can reach me in so many different ways. I'm very easy to find. Right. And, and, and f folks who, who are longer term listeners know that uh, I'm on the advisory board of Biosense. So full, full disclosure there. Uh, I joined <laughs> the board because I, I believe in their tech and their mission. Uh, I found it to be super helpful in my work with patients uh, with metabolic issues. And, you know, you can check out the Biosense device at mybiosense.com, see how it works, see if it might be right for you. Um, and yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Keep sending in your questions to chriscresser.com slash podcast question. We'll see you next time. That's the end of this episode of Revolution Health Radio. If you appreciate the show and want to help me create a healthier and happier world, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. They really do make a difference. If you'd like to ask a question for me to answer on a future episode, you can do that at chriscresser.com slash podcast question. You can also leave a suggestion for someone you'd like me to interview there. If you're on social media, you can follow me at twitter.com slash chriscresser or facebook.com slash chriscresserlac. I post a lot of articles and research that I do throughout the week there that never makes it to the blog or podcast, so it's a great way to stay abreast of the latest developments. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.